This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is navigating our lives with the Holy Ghost. In the first half, Timothy W. McLean shares his address, Navigating Our Way Through Life. Then in the second half, Stephen C. Baugh speaks on the parable of the cherry tree, how to enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. As I begin my message today, I would like you to think back on a time when you were completely lost. You may have been hiking in the wilderness, trying to find your way to a meeting in a new city, or separated from your parents at an amusement park. Can you remember how you felt? You may have felt frightened, embarrassed, or desperate for help. How did you ultimately find your way? Rather than focusing on the dreadful experience of being lost, I would like to speak instead about guiding principles that can help us find our way. For many years, I have been interested in the topic of navigation, specifically figuring out ways for unmanned aircraft, commonly called drones, to find their way from one location to another. For me, this topic is both fascinating technically and an interesting metaphor for our mortal journey through life. The scriptures are replete with examples of journeys or paths used as symbols for our lives here on earth. A couple of my favorites include the stories of Lehi and his family being led to the promised land by the Liahona, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness being led and protected by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. This common use of the path or journey as a teaching aid leads me to ask, what is to be learned from these accounts? How can we be led by our Father in heaven through the wilderness of life to our own promised land? And what about the more modern, techie metaphor of drone navigation? Are there useful parallels to consider between our course through this earthly life and the way a drone finds its way around? Let's explore this a little. I've had the opportunity to perform research with fantastic colleagues and students on drones for the past 17 years. Our primary goal has been to make small unmanned aircraft capable of performing useful tasks without the direct control of a pilot, using innovative combinations of sensors and algorithms implemented on board the aircraft. Whether flying to avoid obstacles such as buildings or canyon walls, Coordinating the actions of multiple drones or navigating through a crowded building, the approaches we have used have involved four important components. First, having a goal or desired objective. Second, sensing the state of the aircraft and the environment around it. Third, processing the sensor information to determine the input commands to the aircraft. And fourth, sending the commands to the aircraft motors to produce the desired behavior. Similarly, for us to reach our ultimate objectives in life, we must have a vision or a goal that defines the path we should take. We must have ways of assessing our progress along our path and whether we are close to or far away from it. We must have the ability to reason and make decisions about ways to improve our progress. And finally, we must exercise our agency to act in ways 
that lead us toward our desired objective. This idea of evaluating where we are relative to our desired objective and then acting to move towards it can be termed in technical jargon as feedback control. The word feedback refers to the information we gather from sources around us, while the word control describes how we use that information to come up with a course of action. This principle of feedback is powerful, and it is finding its way into our daily lives in more and more ways. While feedback has been and will be critical to many technological advances, I would like to consider how we use it to navigate through this mortal journey called life. Whether we realize it or not, we all use feedback to make decisions that guide our actions. As I talk today, I would like you to consider these questions. What are my sources of feedback? Am I receiving spiritual feedback from divine sources? How often am I receiving feedback? And how can I ensure that my feedback is accurate and true? The feedback that we receive and use can be true, accurate, and frequent, which is what we want. Or it can be infrequent and in error in a variety of ways. If we consider an unmanned aircraft following a path to a desired destination, it will reach its destination as long as the feedback it receives about its location relative to the path is accurate and received with sufficient frequency. On the other hand, if the feedback is in error in some way, whether it is biased, noisy, or otherwise incorrect, the aircraft will not converge to the desired path and will not arrive at its destination. Interestingly, even accurate feedback that is delayed or received too infrequently can also lead to poor outcomes. The same is true for us in our lives. We must be wise and careful in choosing our sources of feedback because those that are most readily available to us, such as the Internet and popular culture, are sometimes biased, inconsistent, or just plain wrong. Decisions and actions based on errant information will not put us on a path to our desired destination. Feedback really is a powerful concept. Used properly, it can guide us precisely to our eternal goal. And used improperly, it can lead us away. Critical to its proper use is consistent, steady action based on accurate and frequent feedback. One of the best examples of a feedback device in the scriptures is the Liahona. The Liahona was given to Lehi and his family early in their journey into the wilderness. It was composed of a ball and pointers, and it functioned like a compass in the sense that its pointers indicated the direction they should travel. Unlike a magnetic compass, the pointers were controlled by divine means and showed them the way the Lord would have them go. We learn some details about the function of the Liahona from Nephi, who had first-hand experience using it. In addition to the pointers within the ball that directed their journey, Nephi describes how words were written on the ball that gave them understanding concerning the ways of the Lord. He tells us that the words were changed from time to time and that the pointers directed their way according to the faith, diligence, and heed 
which they gave to them. After discussing how the liahona worked, Nephi draws this significant conclusion. And thus we see that by small means, the Lord can bring about great things. From this, we learn that there is real power in these so-called small means because they open up pathways for frequent and accurate spiritual feedback. The wonderful thing is that we all have access to this power that comes from being faithful, diligent, and heedful. And fortunately, it doesn't require having our own real Liahona hardware. Later in the Book of Mormon, in Alma chapter 37, Alma is nearing the end of his life and speaks to his son Helaman about the Liahona and reiterates much of what Nephi taught about its operation. Alma further explains that when their fathers were slothful and forgot to exercise their faith and diligence, the Liahona failed to function and that they wandered and were afflicted in their journey. We could say that their feedback had become intermittent. Alma then follows with some of my favorite verses of Scripture. And now, my son, I would that ye should understand that these things are not without a shadow. For as our fathers were slothful to give heed to this compass, they did not prosper. Even so, it is with things which are spiritual. For behold, it is as easy to give heed to the word of Christ, which will point to you a straight course to eternal bliss, as it was for our fathers to give heed to this compass, which would point unto them a straight course to the promised land. For just as surely as this director did bring our fathers by following its course to the promised land, shall the words of Christ, if we follow their course, carry us beyond this veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise. O my son, do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way. For so it was, so was it with our fathers. For so was it prepared for them that if they would look, they might live. Even so it is with us. The way is prepared, and if we will look, we may live forever. The Liahona was a literal source of navigational feedback for Lehi and his family. It helped them find their way through the wilderness to the promised land. The Liahona is also a metaphor for spiritual feedback that is available to us, namely the words of Christ of which the scriptures are one example. Remember, for feedback to be effective in helping us stay on the path, it needs to be accurate and frequent. The scriptures are true and thus accurate, and they are as frequent and consistent as we allow them to be. They are beacons of truth and sources of divine feedback that can guide us on our path through life. In the case of Lehi and his family, the words of Christ that were written on the ball represented revelation and inspiration from the Lord. In the same way, the Holy Ghost can be a source of inspiration in our lives. Elder David A. Bednar has taught about the Liahona and how it is a type and a shadow for the Holy Ghost in our day. He said this, As we strive to align our attitudes and actions with righteousness, then the Holy Ghost becomes for us today what the Liahona was for Lehi and his family in their day. The very factors that caused the Liahona to work for Lehi will likewise invite the Holy Ghost into our lives. And the very factors that caused the Liahona not to work anciently will likewise cause us to withdraw ourselves 
from the Holy Ghost today. Alma and Nephi use the words faith, heed, and diligence to describe the key factors governing the function of the liahona. These same small means are the principles by which the Spirit can bless and guide our lives. We must have the faith to look to the Savior and believe that we can receive guidance through the Spirit. We must be persistent in our effort to seek the influence of the Spirit in our lives, and we must pay careful attention to feel and follow the guidance we receive. Elder Bednar has also emphasized the influential role of the Holy Ghost in our mortal journey. He taught that faithfully obeying God's commandments is essential to receiving the Holy Ghost. We are reminded of this truth each week as we listen to the sacrament prayers and worthily partake of the bread and water. As we pledge our willingness to take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ, to always remember Him and to keep His commandments, we are promised that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. Thus, everything the Savior's gospel teaches us to do and become is intended to bless us with the companionship of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost is an amazing form of spiritual feedback for us. It is the primary means by which our Father in Heaven influences our lives. It is real and it is individualized. The scriptures teach that by the power of the Holy Ghost, we can know the truth of all things and that the Holy Ghost will show unto us all things that we should do. The companionship of the Holy Ghost is a wonderful gift. As feedback, it is perfectly accurate, and it can be frequent. We can come under its influence with greater and greater frequency and power by being faithful and diligent in prayer, in searching the scriptures, in partaking of the sacrament worthily, in renewing covenants with real intent, in worshiping in the temple, and in remembering the Savior always. You may know of ways to bring the Spirit into your life that are uniquely effective for you. We must be careful not to neglect these small things that strengthen the divine feedback channel that the Spirit represents. President Henry B. Eyring taught that if we want the companionship of the Spirit to be more frequent, we need to heed the promptings that we receive. He said, The most valuable inspiration will be for you to know what God would have you do. Whatever it is, do it. When you demonstrate your willingness to obey, the Spirit will send you more impressions of what God would have you do for Him. As you obey, the impressions from the Spirit will come more frequently, becoming closer and closer to constant companionship. Your power to choose the right will increase. If you live close to the Spirit in your life, I am confident that you will receive promptings and guidance that will push you far outside of your current comfort zone. You may be prompted to take a job in a location far away from family and friends. You may feel inspired to serve a mission and to accelerate your preparation. You may be guided to pursue an advanced degree, even though you have a growing family and are not sure how it could possibly work out. You may even be prompted to ask someone out on a date. 
Whenever my wife Amber has the opportunity to introduce ourselves to a new ward of young single adults, she always works in the story of how she asked me out first. Even though she keeps repeating the story, which is a little embarrassing for me, I am grateful for that inspired act, as things have worked out really well for us together. I invited her to join me at the podium today to share her version of our courtship story one more time (laughs) to a really big audience, but she understandably, politely declined. (laughs) The Spirit will guide you to do hard things that challenge you to the core The Liahona did not direct Lehi and his family to go back to Jerusalem to a life of comfort and convenience. It led them further into the wilderness. It directed them, a land-loving people, to cross an ocean. Of course, the Liahona was guiding them to their promised land, but the path they were required to follow stretched their faith and capabilities. The guidance you receive through the Holy Ghost may at times feel risky, or even induce within you feelings of inadequacy and fear of failure. Don't be afraid. Recognize the source of the promptings you are receiving and have the faith to act. You may be humbled by the circumstances you find yourself in, but remember, God's grace is sufficient to strengthen you. Many of the great pathfinders in the scriptures were humbled by the situations they were placed in. Moses felt inadequate and overwhelmed with God's directive to lead Israel out of Egypt. Nephi was at times immensely frustrated with his own weakness and inability. In this dispensation, the prophet Joseph Smith was humbled by his lack of a formal education. In spite of their weaknesses, God accomplished his will through them, and he will do so with you as well if you follow his spirit. As we move through life, we can sometimes become distracted from our important objectives. It is critical to remember that helpful guidance and feedback in our journey can come from inspired friends, leaders, and loved ones. After I completed my master's degree at BYU, I accepted employment as a staff engineer at the University of Utah. The work was exciting and fast-paced. Amber and I were enjoying life. Our finances were suddenly much improved. We were working on starting our family, and we were serving in the church in new and more responsible ways. Everything was going great for us. Leading up to this time, I had thought a lot about pursuing a doctoral degree. Over time, however, because I was enjoying work and life was going so well, my commitment to pursuing additional education began to fade. I had not made a decision one way or the other. I had simply let other things take precedence. By not making a conscious effort to prayerfully consider my future, in essence, I was letting life's circumstances decide for me. In a sense, I was not acting, but rather being acted upon. One afternoon, after I had been working for almost a year, I received a phone call in my office from Professor Joseph Free. Joe, who I called Dr. Free back then, was a professor in the mechanical engineering department at BYU. He had taken an interest in me as an undergraduate and had later served as my graduate advisor. He was a trusted mentor and friend with whom I had talked quite a lot about graduate school. We caught up a bit on what had been going on in our lives, and after some conversation, he asked me how my Ph.D. plans were shaping up. 
I shared with him how, th- how well things were going for me at work and in life generally. I told him that Amber was expecting our first child, and I thought I would stay put where I was. In response, he expressed his happiness that things were going so well for me. And then he said something that I will never forget. He said, I am disappointed that you aren't going forward with your plans for a Ph.D. Not a lot more was said, and we wrapped up our call together. I was not surprised by Joe's comment and initially did not think too much about it, but his words stuck in my mind for weeks. And eventually, I concluded that I needed to prayerfully consider my future and seek the guidance of the Spirit. Amber and I did pray, and together we decided that more school was the right thing for us and that sooner was better than later. About nine months later, on a hot summer evening, we drove west out of Salt Lake City into the setting sun with our twin baby girls strapped in their car seats to begin six of the most challenging fulfilling, and fun years of our lives. This story has a nice ending. About seven years after Joe's phone call to me, I accepted employment as a professor here at BYU. I was hired into Joe's position and began to teach the classes he had once taught. Interestingly, the phone number that he had once called me from became, and is to this day, my phone number. By starting my message today, showing video clips from several successful unmanned aircraft flight tests, I may have given the misleading impression that successful flight tests are easily achieved and that we are just out having fun all the time. The truth is that a successful flight test that yields five minutes of video can require a graduate student or a team of students a year or more of preparation and effort to complete successfully. A little calculation shows that one minute of good video results requires about 50,000 minutes of preparation and effort, along with numerous setbacks and failures. Just like life, nothing ever goes exactly according to plan. At times we may crash. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, we may feel like we just keep going down. Unlike with drones, our crashes in life whether due to our own sins or weaknesses or the random difficulties of life, do not result in permanent damage. We can be repaired and made whole again through the atoning sacrifice of the Savior. Because we are each intimately familiar with our own weaknesses, the repeated setbacks that we all experience on a personal level can be discouraging. These feelings are amplified as we view the lives of those around us, especially through the lens of social media. All we tend to see are the highlight reels of other successes, too easily forgetting that they also have bloopers that are simply too embarrassing or painful to share. As we assess our progress towards our goals, we must avoid the temptation of comparing our progress to that of those around us. Comparisons to others generally do not provide the personalized, accurate feedback we each need to reach our inspired goals in life. As we all fail at one time or another, it is important to realize that some failures can and should be avoided, while others are a natural consequence of our efforts to progress and become better. 
You are in a phase of your life where much of your effort is focused on personal growth and development as you consider your education, careers, and relationships. These things are difficult, and the risk of failing is real. Sometimes, when we face big decisions or challenges in life, we can be slow to act for fear of making a mistake. In the field of engineering design, a common exhortation is to fail fast to succeed sooner. Of course, the objective is not to fail. Instead, this saying can inspire us to act decisively under the guidance of the Spirit when we face uncertainty. We must remember that if we try something hard and fail, we will always learn something beneficial in the process. It is often better to act in the best way we know how and learn from our mistakes than to be paralyzed to the point of inaction because of fear. President Boyd K. Packer once shared a story where, as a new general authority, he sought the counsel of President David O. McKay. But after receiving the prophet's counsel, he saw no possible way of following it. He explained his situation to Elder Harold B. Lee, who said, The trouble with you is you want to see the end from the beginning. President Packer then received what he called the lesson of a lifetime from Elder Lee, who continued, You must learn to walk to the edge of the light and then a few steps into the darkness. Then the light will appear and show the way before you. This principle was also taught by Nephi as he sought to retrieve the gold plates from Laban after two failed attempts. He went forth in faith a third time, even when he wasn't sure what to do. He says, I was led by the Spirit not knowing beforehand the things which I should do. Nevertheless, I went forth. We must go forward, too. It is comforting to know that we need not wander alone on our mortal journey through life. Through consistent, seemingly small acts of devotion, we can have the guiding influence of the Holy Ghost with us continually, and by following its guidance, we can bring to pass great things. This is the power of the Holy Ghost. Its importance cannot be overemphasized, as it can influence every aspect of our spiritual navigation system. The Spirit can bless us with an expansive vision of our future. It can provide essential feedback to help us correctly assess our progress on our journey and where we are relative to our desired path. It can guide us to make inspired choices and decisions, and it can give us the courage and resolve to act, both in recognizing and following its guidance. With the divine feedback of the Spirit that is available to us, we need not ever feel spiritually lost. In his most recent conference address, President Monson taught that our goal is to obtain celestial glory And the choices we make will, in large part, determine whether or not we reach our goal. It does matter which way we go, for the path we follow in this life leads to our destination in the next. It is my belief that we can obtain this goal of celestial glory as we seek and follow the divine feedback that comes through the still, small voice of the Holy Ghost. It is my hope that we can be faithful and diligent in doing the small things 
that will allow this guiding feedback to be both frequent and perfectly accurate, leading us to the great things that God has intended for us. I bear my witness that God lives, and we are his children, that he loves each of us, and because of that love, he sent his Son to be the Savior and Redeemer of the world, to give us hope and a path to return to him, that we may seek the influence of the Holy Spirit to find and follow that path, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Navigating Our Lives with the Holy Ghost. We've just heard from Timothy W. McLean. After the break, we'll return with Stephen C. Baugh for the parable of the cherry tree, how to enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is Navigating Our Lives Through the Holy Ghost. Next is Stephen C. Baugh, Associate Professor of Education and Director of the BYU Center for the Improvement of Teacher Education and Schooling at the time of this address, titled The Parable of the Cherry Tree, How to Enjoy the Constant Companionship of the Holy Ghost. Years ago, I took a botany class at BYU. The professor described a problem that sometimes occurs with sweet cherry trees. Apparently, there are times when they look fully mature, beautifully shaped, with complete foliage, but they don't bear fruit. As I remember, and I ask any students here that are in life sciences to be patient with me as I describe this in lay terms. He said, as near as I remember, there are times when the sugar that sets fruit does not stay in the branches but goes to the roots instead. If this has occurred, then it may be necessary to shock the tree by upsetting the cambium layer in the tree trunk so that the sugar will stay in the top of the tree and set fruit. We asked how one does this. The professor told us that we could carefully cut into the bark with a knife. Or we could shoot the tree with a small-caliber firearm. (laughs) Apparently, years ago, some farmers did this. Or we could beat the bark with a baseball bat. He said if we did beat the bark with a bat, we should do it after dark so our neighbors wouldn't see us. (laughs) Well, I decided to try shocking the tree because I had a seven-year-old sweet cherry tree that would not bear fruit. So I got out my bat, waited until dark, and carefully tapped the bark around the base of the tree. Then I waited for the results, and results I got. The leaves began to wilt, turn yellow and then brown, and finally fall to the ground. I had completely girdled the tree, which totally cut off the branches from the roots. The tree died. My purpose is not to illustrate that a little knowledge can be a dangerous thing, though (laughs) it certainly was in my case. Rather, my purpose is to illustrate the devastation that results when branches are cut off from their roots. Nourishment cannot flow from the roots to the branches. Similarly, if we cut ourselves off from the Holy Ghost, our source of spiritual nourishment, 
we experience spiritual devastation. The Savior taught, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I want to consider my experience with the cherry tree as a parable representing the Savior's teachings about the true vine. When we maintain our relationship with the Holy Ghost, we are blessed with the flow of influence and direction that can nourish our spirits and bring them life. To do this, I will respond to two questions. Why do we need the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, and how can we enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost? First, why do we need the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost? Unquestionably, life is full of difficult choices. You students need the direction of the Spirit as much or more now than at any other time in your life. You are making so many critical, life-determining decisions. Think of some of these. What to major in? How to balance school, work, church responsibilities, and a social life? Who to date? How to get a date? (laughs) And what to do about a job or career, especially in a difficult economy? You have some difficult choices to make, and you need help. The Holy Ghost can assist you in making these choices. That is, if you do not allow circumstance to shock you into losing your connection. Elder Scott recently taught us, Therefore, we are led to seek personal inspiration in life's important decisions. That assistance will come to you through the Holy Ghost as spiritual guidance. In Moroni, we're given the promise, And by the power of the Holy Ghost, ye may know the truth of all things. And from the book of John, we learn these important truths. The Holy Ghost will guide you into all truth and shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. In this most recent general conference, Sister Julie B. Beck, Relief Society General President, said, The ability to qualify for, receive, and act on personal revelation is the single most important skill that can be acquired in this life. Furthermore, she said, we can prioritize correctly and navigate this life confidently, prevail over opposition and persist in faith through difficult days and essential routine tasks, and understand what to do every day to increase faith and personal righteousness, strengthen families and homes, and seek those who need our help. I bear testimony that for these and many other reasons, it is absolutely necessary to have the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost. We must keep our connections open and strong. Now to the second question. How can we enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost? Of the many things we have been taught through scriptures and by the counsel of our Church leaders, I want to speak about four. These are not new. They have been taught us since the organization of the Church. They are among the small and simple things written in the scriptures. But remember, out of small and simple things, great things are brought to pass. Strong connections and open channels can be maintained in simple ways. 
They are, pray in faith continually, search the scriptures daily, keep the commandments always, and serve others willingly. Number one, pray in faith continually. In Alma chapter 34, we are invited to cry unto him when ye are in your fields, yea, over all your flocks. Thinking of fields and flocks reminds me of an experience I had recently while attending a sacrament meeting in the BYU Asian ward. A good Asian brother told of praying prior to taking a calculus test to be calm and remember the things he'd studied. He was doing pretty well when he came upon a problem that required him to convert feet into inches. He knew how to do the problem, but he could not complete it until he could make the conversion. Problem was, he didn't understand feet and inches because all of his schooling had been in the metric system. Well, he prayed again, and like the people of Alma who prayed silently and had their burdens lifted, it came into his mind an image of an advertisement he'd seen recently of a foot-long sandwich, (laughs) saying that it could be divided into two six-inch sandwiches. He was a bright study. A foot is 12 inches. He was able to complete the problem. The Lord knows when each sparrow falls. He knows each of us. He wants to be involved in the details of our lives. And the whispering of the Spirit is one of the ways He does this. Prayer is one way that we invite Him to give us this blessing. I was reminded of this several years ago at Christmas time when one of our daughters had recently returned from her mission. My wife and I had purchased a gift for her, one that she was excited to receive. On Christmas Eve, I suddenly realized that I didn't remember where I had hidden the gift. (laughs) Remember, I'm the guy that beat the cherry tree with a baseball bat. I racked my brain. I searched all my favorite hiding places. I simply could not find the gift. I felt sick. Minutes went by, stretching into an hour or more. Nothing came into my mind. I decided to pray. Father in heaven, I need your help. I have a gift for my daughter, but I can't find it. She is a choice daughter, and I don't want to disappoint her. Please help me find the gift. Immediately, I knew where to look. I found the gift. I testify that He knows us. He loves us. We can go to Him in prayer, even in the small and simple things. Consider for a moment what some of your flocks and fields might be, and then include them in your prayers. But remember, branches should not be dead weight. You have the responsibility to do your part. It does little good to ask for help to do your best on a test if you haven't studied, to stay free from the H1N1 virus if you fail to take proper care of yourself, or to avoid improper actions on a date if you are out too long, too late, and too isolated. President Packer illustrated this principle with his story of the little girl who prayed that her brother would not catch birds in his trap. After she prayed, She told her mother that she was positive her brother wouldn't catch any more birds. Her mother asked her how she knew. The little girl replied that after she prayed, she went out and kicked that trap to pieces. (laughs) Pray morning and evening and during the day. Pray vocally and in your heart. 
If you have faith that your prayers are heard and answered in the Lord's own way, the Holy Ghost can bring answers and guidance to you. I love the words of the hymn, In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief, and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. To enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, we must pray in faith continually. Number two, search the scriptures daily. Nephi said, For my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and profit of my children. You'll notice that the verb I've chosen is search. I could substitute other verbs such as study or ponder. Now notice that the verb isn't locate, as in locate my scriptures, nor is the verb dust off, as in dust off my scriptures. The Holy Ghost opens our minds to truths in the scriptures and brings to our minds guidance from our scriptural learning. But we need to get scriptural truths into our minds in the first place. Finding and dusting are only preliminary steps. Consider the words from 2 Nephi 31, feasting upon the word of Christ. Feasting is certainly not nibbling. We need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures like butter and honey flowing over a hot dinner roll. The sons of Messiah brought thousands of people to Christ having searched the scriptures diligently. They were well prepared for the revelation they received. I appreciate what Elder J. Jensen of the Seventy has written in his book, Treasure Up the Word, in which he lists some important verbs that might be applied to our approach to the scriptures. Read, peruse, look over, investigate, study, explore, investigate, research, review, survey. Search, examine, explore, inspect, investigate, scrutinize. Ponder, meditate, contemplate, reflect upon, think about, weigh heavily, and liken, compare. Verbs such as these suggest anything but a casual approach to the scriptures. My wife Kathy shared with me an experience she had recently with inspiration from the scriptures. Our oldest son, who is in the military, was being deployed to the Middle East. Kathy was extremely worried about him. At night, sleep was difficult for her, and during the day she was continually unsettled. One day, as she was studying the Book of Mormon, the thought came into her mind to turn to the chapters in Alma concerning the sons of Helaman. As she read, peace came into her mind and heart. She felt calm. She knew all would be well. During the early years of our marriage, Kathy and I established the practice of family prayer and family scripture study. The memory of our sometimes discouraging efforts came back to me as Elder Bednar told us that as he and his wife attempted to hold family home evening or family scripture reading, one of the other of their boys would say something like, He's touching me. You remember these? (laughs) Make him stop looking at me. Or my favorite, Mom, he's breathing my air. (laughs) As I read from the scriptures during these early mornings, the children's eyes were often closed. Kids, listen up, I would say. Dad, we're meditating. (laughs) 
or when I would stop to explain a particular scripture, I heard more than once, Dad, don't talk about it. Just read it. (laughs) We wondered if we were doing any good at all. Now our children have children of their own, and they are having family prayer and family scripture study. And guess what? Their children close their eyes to meditate as the parents are reading. Perhaps closed eyes do not indicate completely closed connections. We need to be diligent in our study of the scriptures and not take them for granted. Former Church President Ezra Taft Benson reminded us of this as he called us all to repentance regarding our inadequate reading of the Book of Mormon. He quoted from the Doctrine and Covenants the following, And they shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the New Covenant, even the Book of Mormon, and the former commandments which I have given them, not only to say, but to do, according to that which I have written. One of our hymns expresses an important connection between Scripture study and the Holy Ghost. As I search the Holy Scriptures, touch my spirit, Lord, I pray. May life's mysteries be unfolded as I study day by day. To enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, we must search the Scriptures daily. Now, number three, keep the commandments always. Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? If ye love me, keep my commandments. Elder Bruce A. Carlson gave us some valuable insights in the most recent General Conference when he said, Obedience to the Lord's commands provides us confidence in our chosen path, qualifies us for His guidance and direction as we pursue our efforts, and offers us the potential to become like our Savior, Jesus Christ, and return to our Father's presence. I agree with Elder Carlson. We do not qualify for His direction through the Holy Ghost, and we certainly cannot become like the Savior if we do not obey what He has commanded us to do. To me, the relationship is not complex. When we keep the commandments, we are happy. When we don't, we aren't. Wickedness never was happiness. The following scriptures teach us additional important truths about keeping the commandments. We are admonished that certain blessings come only by obedience to the law upon which those blessings are based. We are promised that the Lord is bound when we do what He says. He promises us His fullness if we keep His commandments. And He promises gifts of the Spirit if we are obedient. For verily I say unto you that they, the gifts of the Spirit, are given for the benefit of those who love me and keep all my commandments, and him that seeketh so to do. And him that seeketh so to do. That statement ought to encourage us. Again, I find inspiration in the hymns of the Church. Hold to the rod. Hold to the rod. Really hold on to it tightly with both hands. Keep the commandments. In this there is safety and peace. To enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, we must keep the commandments always. Number four, serve others willingly. There are so many ways we can serve, but sometimes we think of service in terms of position. We may think we need to be a counselor in the bishopric or the president of our elders' quorum or Relief Society or teach the gospel doctrine class. 
in order to give real service. It's just not so. Remember what was said of the Savior. He went about doing good. The Holy Ghost can guide us in following the Savior's example. Following my release from a church calling, I wondered, just how good a Christian are you? Can you be a good neighbor and friend without a formal calling? Can you be more kind and considerate of others, more decent, less quick to judge and find fault, and just go about trying to do good? Can you not just do good but be good? When I think of the hymn, I am a child of God, I often think of a change that was made to the wording years ago. One line was originally penned, Teach me all that I must know to live with him some day. It was changed to read, Teach me all that I must do to live with him some day. Perhaps when we sing it next time, we can think, at least maybe on the last verse, Teach me all that I must be to live with him some day. I mention this because giving service for the right reasons and without a formal calling makes us particularly sensitive to the guidance of the Holy Ghost and helps us become. So what are some areas of service that are often overlooked? How about home and visiting teaching? I believe that if you want to prepare for a mission or for marriage, you'll not find a better way than being a good home teacher or visiting teacher. And why? Because to be a good home or visiting teacher, we have to forget ourselves and think of someone else. And doing that is critical preparation for a mission or marriage. Elder Oak spoke of some often undervalued areas of service. The sacrifice parents make for their children and the pain and loss of personal priorities and comforts mothers make to bear and rear their children. He taught us the value of a smile and simple greeting to someone who is sitting alone at church as an important act of service. When we are willing to sacrifice and reach out to others, the Holy Ghost will guide us in doing these kinds of things. In my remarks to this point, I have said that we don't need an official call in the Church in order to give service and receive the guidance of the Holy Ghost, and this is true. It is also true, however, that Church callings provide wonderful opportunities to receive inspiration and give service. Therefore, I want to share what I call 10 things I have learned about Church callings. They are given in no particular order, and they are not intended to be exhaustive. Do not seek callings. Accept callings when they come. Magnify each calling when it comes. Do not ask to be released. When released, accept it with a good heart and attitude. We do not own our callings. It does not matter where we serve. It does matter how we serve. Do not be critical of how you are called or how you are released. Study the Church Handbook specific to your calling and follow them. Never speak negatively of your leaders. Seek and accept their counsel. And find out what the Lord would have you do. Seek the Spirit. Now there is one other thing. Have you noticed that if you try to serve unselfishly that you grow as you serve? Growth comes as a natural process. 
But if your primary motive for serving is so you can serve personally, selfishness damages our connection to the Holy Ghost and our growth is impeded. Only when we forget ourselves and focus on others do we become stronger through service. Of all the reasons we may have for serving, may those reasons be ever more frequently and consistently that we love others and we love our Father in heaven. One of our hymns expresses a plea for us to remember. Savior, may I love my brother as I know thou lovest me. Find in me my strength, my beacon, for thy servant I would be. Savior, may I love my brother. Lord, I would follow thee. To enjoy the constant companionship of the Holy Ghost, we must serve others willingly. Sunday School General President Elder Russell Osgerthorpe taught us a pattern of teaching to teach, invite, and promise. I have endeavored to follow this pattern. First, I have tried to teach correct principles. Second, I invite you, if the principles I have taught are not consistent in your lives, to make them so. And third, I promise you that if you do, the Lord's choicest blessings will be yours, for He has said, And if ye keep my commandments and endure to the end, you shall have eternal life, which gift is the greatest of all the gifts of God. Remember the cherry tree. Branches separated from their roots wither and die, but when they are connected, they receive nourishment which brings abundant life. The Holy Ghost is that vital connection all of us have with our Father in heaven, through which we receive the nourishment of His wisdom, guidance, and love. To enjoy the constant companionship and blessing of the Holy Ghost, we must pray in faith continually, search the scriptures daily, keep the commandments always, and serve others willingly. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Navigating Our Lives Through the Holy Ghost with thoughts from Timothy W. McLean and Stephen C. Baugh. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.